No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. Hello and welcome to Know You Tell It, a hybrid story incubator slash performance series. Each Know You Tell It participant develops their true life tale on the page and then switches with a partner to perform each other's work on stage. Because nothing informs your story like hearing someone else perform your story. It's the fiction edition. For our anniversary show at Jimmy's number 43, we invited a few of our favorite storytellers back to experiment with a change from our usual true life tales. Spending time with your family over the holidays? It isn't always as perfect as we hope it will be. An attempt to recapture the past backfires in Katie Johnston's story, Back to the Beach, read for us by Todd Faulkner. Jenna turned over on the lumpy sofa, trying to avoid the spring poking her in the thigh. She kicked off the black blanket and flopped onto her back. She let out an exasperated sigh. It was pointless. She looked at the room around her. She took in the faded drapes and scratched at the worn corduroy fabric of the couch she was sprawled across. It was exactly as she had remembered it. She noticed the same titles lined up across the bookcase and marveled that the antiquated television with the bunny ear antenna still worked. At least some things never change. Jenna swung her legs over the side of the sofa. She kicked aside a pile of Legos and baby books, clearing some space on the floor. She pulled down her blanket and some of the couch cushions and assembled a makeshift bed. It was a task she had done hundreds of times before, though never by herself. She always had the help of her cousins, Karen and Bridget. It was their ritual. Every summer, they would come up to their grandparents' house, and each night the girls would load up their arms with blankets and pillows to set up camp on the living room floor. There are perfectly good beds down the hall, their grandfather would insist. They preferred the floor, where they could sleep head to head and whisper for hours into the night. Truth or dare? Truth. Would you rather walk down the beach naked for five minutes or have Karen fart in your face every morning for the rest of the summer? The girls would stifle their giggles into their pillows, and Jenna's heart would feel so full she could barely stand it. For a whole month every year, Karen and Bridget would take her in as their honorary sister. Three peas in a pod, their grandma called them. They invented secret languages and put on plays for their grandparents. They compared tans and squabbled over who used up the last of the shampoo. Most of all, they laughed. At everything, at nothing at all. Their grandfather used to stare at them dumbfounded. He never understood what could possibly be so funny. The girls were always laughing. Loud, unapologetic cackles of delight. Tonight, all she could hear were the strange sounds of Bridget trying to stifle her sobs from down the hall. Jenna stared at the wooden ceiling fan circling above her. She was practically choking on the tension in the air. She had to get out of that house. Jenna crept to the back porch and sorted through the pile of shoes by the door. She kicked around tiny sandals and giant running shoes until she was able to slip her feet into a pair of flip-flops. She wasn't sure if they were hers, but it didn't matter. She made her way down the porch steps and followed the narrow pebble path to the beach. She tossed a look over her shoulder at the old house. It was dark. She turned and quickly hurried away from it. They never should have come in the first place. When Bridget, when Bridget suggested a visit to the old beach house, Jenna jumped at the idea. It was Thanksgiving, and Jenna was squished between Karen and Bridget on their aunt's old love seat, three, three peas back in their pot. Jenna couldn't remember the last time they had all been in the same room together. It had been a few years at least, but they jumped right back into their old rhythm as if they had seen each other the day before. Jenna guessed that's what it was like with sisters. 
At the time, Jenna was nursing her latest broken heart. She cried every day for three weeks until she found herself face to face with Karen and Bridget. Despite the time and space that had come between them over the years, her cousins hadn't lost their talent for making her laugh. Bridget was able to boil her life down as a mother, young mother of two into a mini stand-up routine. Karen entertained them with pictures from her latest international adventure, and Jenna relayed horror stories of a single 30-something who was exploring the online dating world. <laughs> Mostly, they reminisced about their summers at the beach house. What was that guy's name at the ice cream stand? Which one? You remember that guy Jenna was in love with? I was not. Oh, please. Jenna, you were obsessed with him. Remember you stole Bridget's bikini and rode Grandma's old bike up to the pier? Oh, my God. But it was like two sizes too big? Shut up. And your ass was hanging out the whole time and you had no idea? Was it Chuck? No, it was Chip. Right. And Jenna would always order a sundae and ask for extra chips. <laughs> they all tossed their heads back in unison and unleashed their trademark belly laughs. Bridget and Karen's husbands, Ben and Jason, just stared at them with the same perplexed wonder that their grandfather used to. The girls didn't notice. They just kept laughing until they couldn't breathe. Jenna felt like she was 12 years old again. We should go back, Bridget proclaimed. Maybe it was the bottle of Pinot Noir that the cousins had polished off, but it seemed like a stroke of genius. Of course they should go back. There was something about that house that was simply magical. Jenna never felt more alive or happy as she did during those summer months. It was exactly what she needed. Immediately, her head was flooded with images of long days lounging on the sand and swimming in the ocean with her cousins. She imagined the three of them giving each other home many petties. They would probably stay up talking and laughing until sunrise like they did when they were younger. Maybe they would finally put together the jigsaw puzzle in Grandma's closet. They attempted it every year as kids, but were never able to finish it before the summer ended. Ben and I usually take some time off in August. Would that work? Hun, what do you think? Could you get away from work in August? I could probably make that work. Jason's voice snapped Jenna out of her fantasy. Oh, right. Of course, it wasn't just the three of them anymore. She laughed at herself. She didn't mind. She just started to paint a new picture of their vacation. She envisioned big family meals out on the back porch. Jason was pretty good on the grill. Maybe he would bring his guitar so they could have sing-alongs like they did in college. Ben. Well, Jenna wasn't really sure what Ben was good at. <laughs> she hoped it was puzzles. Jenna pictured them all opening bottles of wine after the kids were in bed. They could play cards or charades. Maybe Karen would convince them to play Monopoly. She doubted it, though. No one liked playing Monopoly with Karen. She made the, day, the game drag on for days and always won. Jenna anticipated their visit to the beach house like a small child awaiting Christmas morning. She was giddy thinking about it. She felt embarrassed as she continued down the path. After all that excitement, here she was, escaping in the middle of the night like a criminal fleeing a crime scene. She kicked off her flip-flops and made her way to the ocean. She felt the cool, packed sand squish between her toes. She closed her eyes and listened to the waves. Finally, for the first time in what felt like the first time in days, she was able to breathe. She wandered aimlessly up and down the beach. She had no idea how long she had been out there, but she was in no rush to head back. She was trying to match her steps to fit her own footprints in the shoreline when she noticed a figure moving in the distance. She recognized Jason's distinct gait and tall frame immediately. She offered a small wave as they made their way towards one another. Hey, what are you doing out here? Couldn't sleep. Me neither. 
He took a long pull on a beer that he was carrying. Sorry if we kept you up. He sat in the sand and took another swig of his beer. Want some? he asked, offering her the bottle. Jenna sat down beside him. Sure. She took a sip and passed the bottle back. Everything okay? He let out a low breath and stared blankly into the ocean. Who knows? He took another drink and handed the bottle back to Jenna without looking at her. Bridget met Jason her senior year of college. Jenna took a liking to him right away. He was cool and funny and always understood her obscure movie references. She and Karen used to joke that he looked like a Disney prince. A few years later, Jenna and Karen were bridesmaids as he and Bridget exchanged their vows. Karen was godmother to their first son, Jenna to their second. The fridge in Jenna's small studio apartment was covered in holiday cards featuring their perfect family living happily ever after in their fairy tale life. Is she still upset? She's always upset. Jason looked like he hadn't slept in days. Maybe he hadn't. There were bags sagging beneath his bloodshot eyes and his lips pinched at the corners. Jenna stared at his square jaw. It was clenched. His hair was thinning a little at the top, and his five o'clock shadow was speckled with grays. Jenna wondered how she hadn't noticed that before. She took a long drink and returned the beer. He killed what was left. There's a lot going on, she said gently. The baby is sick, and Karen was being a bitch. She's probably exhausted. We're all exhausted, Jenna. She exhaled deeply. That was the truth. Everything was exhausting. That's why they had come, wasn't it? They all needed a break from the draining tedium of reality. Unfortunately, Jenna's loneliness, the pressures of Karen's corporate career, and the stress of Bridget's strained marriage had followed them. There was no escaping their own lives. Jenna didn't know what to say. She put her hand on Jason's shoulder and felt him soften slightly. They watched the waves roll in and out. Jason rested his hand on Jenna's knee. How did we get here? His voice was so quiet, Jenna wondered if he had meant to speak out loud. She simply nodded. Like, when did we become our parents? You know what I mean? No, actually, I don't. It came out more bitter than she had intended. Jason turned to look at her. The moonlight was reflecting in his sad brown eyes. You're lucky. She usually hated that sort of condescending bullshit, but she knew that in that moment, Jason genuinely meant it. His face was close to hers, close enough for her to smell the alcohol in his breath. She wondered how many beers he had had before the one they just finished. Suddenly, she felt his thumb slowly and softly stroking the inside of her knee. She, he held her gaze for what felt like an eternity as he continued to gently graze her skin. It's late, she said, as she placed his hand back in his own lap. She slowly made her way to her feet. We should go back. Jason dropped his eyes down to the empty beer, his head hanging slightly. He started peeling the label from the bottle. I'll catch up. Jenna made her way across the beach and found the pebble pathway. She tiptoed up the porch steps and carefully closed the screen door behind her. It was dark and quiet. Bridget had most likely cried herself to sleep. Jenna neatly replaced the cushions and blankets back on the couch. She stumbled around in the dark, shoving all of her things into an old duffel bag. She found a scrap of paper and a pen in the kitchen, turned on the little stove light, and hastily scribbled a note. Wanted to get a jump on the traffic. XO. J. She hesitated. It felt wrong. 
She never left her cousins before without a proper goodbye. She knew there was a good chance they would be furious about it. She felt a lump starting to form in the back of her throat. There was an equally good chance they wouldn't really care that much. Jenna left the note on Karen's laptop, knowing it would be the first place she would look in the morning. She did a sweep of the house to make sure she had everything. She double and triple checked the living room, peeking under the table and behind the couch. When she was satisfied, she made her way to the front door and silently slipped out into the night. Climbing into her car, she pulled her duffel under her lap. She unzipped the bag and rifled through it one last time. She couldn't shake the feeling that she was missing something, that she was leaving something really important behind. Everything was there. She let out the breath she didn't realize she had been holding. Maybe she just didn't have as much as she thought she did to begin with. She tossed the bag into the seat behind her and slowly pulled away from the house. Returning storyteller Todd Faulkner is the co-creator of the paranormal podcast Uncanny County. Fans of that podcast will recognize this story as a prequel to episode 4, Coolrophobia. For those who haven't listened yet, trigger warning, clowns. Switching it up, here's Todd Faulkner's Clowning Around, performed by Katie Johnston. Buddy made his way to the center of the crowded motel room, being careful not to hit any of his drunken friends with the oversized painting he held in his arms. The painting was covered with a dreary, water-stained sheet, and it was so big he struggled to hold it steady, even with his long, gangly arms. As he set it down in the middle of the room with a large thump, the semi-rowdy crowd, made up mainly of freshly-minted high school graduates, Go 84! fell silent. The thing under the sheet filled the room with the musty smell of a moldy, forgotten relic, overpowering the smells of cheap beer and even cheaper weed. Jesus, buddy, said Earl, breaking the silence and waving his graduation cap in front of his face to ward off the stench. Where the hell did you dig that thing up? He crumpled up his face tightly in disgust, which, coupled with his enormous, meaty frame, made him look vaguely like a talking bulldog from an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. Buddy held the painting upright with one hand as he wiped the sweat from his brow with the other. Not important, he said as he reached for a heavy chair, dragged it closer, and leaned the painting against it. Buddy reached into his waistband and pulled out a weathered, leather-bound book. This, he said, waving the book at Earl is where the real fun begins. Fun? If you're gonna stink up the room, you might as well stick with your fart jokes, said Jane, her musical voice holding an authority far beyond her years. As he saw her lying back against the headboard of the motel bed, sizing him up with those piercing green eyes, Buddy grinned. Jane Roundland moved to town last fall after her dad was elected sheriff, admittedly a drawback. The newly minted Custer Memorial High Senior was a smart, funny, strawberry blonde who had stormed Buddy's consciousness, reducing all the girls he'd dreamed of before to a distant memory. And tonight, she was here at the motel with him. Buddy, with his weak chin and a hairline that was already threatening to recede at 18, couldn't believe his good fortune. He hoped to close the deal tonight before she got wise and traded him in for a more favorable model. 
The few girls who had ever shown more than a passing interest in Buddy had always emphasized his sense of humor, as if it gave them a good excuse for dating him as long as they had. So tonight, Buddy was going all in. Soon, he said to Jane, all will be revealed. Giving a final tweak to make sure the painting was secure, Buddy dramatically rose to his full six foot three inch height and addressed the room. When we were kids, we did a lot of spooky stuff. Light as a feather, stiff as a board, or sometimes we'd stare into a mirror and say, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Don't you dare, Buddy Huggins, said Christy Jeffers, a muscular blonde cheerleader with a cross necklace dangling conspicuously between her breasts. Come on, Buddy, said Andy Mullins, a beefy wide receiver leaning against the back wall. That's kid stuff. That's right, Andy said Buddy. And we ain't here for kid stuff, are we, gang? We didn't book all these rooms for kid stuff, did we? We graduated! Most of the 20 or so young men and women in the hotel room hooted in response. What's under the sheet? shouted Calvin Simons, his face reddening from the beer in early summer heat. Sweat stains darkened the pits of his already fraying quarterback jersey. It ain't kid stuff, Calvin, said Buddy, holding up the tattered book again. And neither is this ancient book of forgotten knowledge. <laughs> the words ancient book of forgotten knowledge had seemed right when he practiced them at home. But now he sounded phony, like something from a bad movie. And as if they were watching a bad movie, the crowd jeered in response. But he steeled himself and continued. We have bowed down before our ancient mascot, the Custer High Naked Mole Rat, all these years. And now, we move on to serve a new master. The words he'd rehearsed felt heavy and stupid on his tongue. Come on, said Earl. Get that thing out of here before I puke on it. Four or five of the gang clapped in support. Time stopped as Buddy felt a trail of sweat making its way down his neck towards the small of his back. He gulped and stole a glance at the bed just in time to see Jane crossing her arms. He was doomed. He squeezed the ancient book so hard his hands went numb. For a moment, he couldn't tell where his hand ended and the book began. He felt a pulsating warmth in his fingertips and miraculously started to relax. My friends. A small laugh escaped from his lips as Buddy raised his other hand, holding up one finger until the room grew silent. Don't mock what you don't understand. From the ancient book of Amaranta, we haze The words sprung out of his mouth with a life of their own. The words sounded nothing like the ones he made up when he first saw the strange symbols in the book and got the idea to put on this performance. But a nervous laugh sounded in the room, followed quickly by another. It seemed his audience was with him, so Buddy decided to roll with it. Mahalajiru, he said with a musical swell. Indu, fanalana, folly, folly, folly. More laughter, <laughs> and a lone voice from the crowd shouting, woohoo! But he stopped and raised his finger again. This part's in English, he said with a cocky grin. So even Calvin will understand what's going on. 
Calvin in the middle of downing another Mickey's wide mouth, Miss Buddy's insults completely, <laughs> responding only with an enormous belch. Buddy stole a quick glance at Jane, who still leaned against the headboard but had loosened her crossed arms. She watched him intently with a slight grin as she absently rubbed a lock of her hair between two fingers. Catching his eye, she gave him a raised eyebrow along with a silent nod that seemed to say, this better be good. But he nodded back, then continued, his voice richer and more confident than he'd ever dreamed possible. To the pale almighty, we give you our very selves. We are yours. We are you. We wish to be you. This world and all that is in it is yours. This ain't funny. That's blasphemy, said Christy, her brow furrowed, huddling even closer to the floor. Punish the unfunny, the undevout, the self-righteous, he hissed at Christy with more venom than he had intended, and do with them what you will. But he felt the mood shift in the room, but the words came back again in a strange, rich baritone that he could swear had its own built-in echo. Shonaki foriva ondaya. He could swear the earth moved. That's how powerful he felt. Then, but he felt like he was caught in a free fall, alone, empty. He could hear nothing but the sound of his own heartbeat. The room was silent. Standing next to the painting, Buddy could feel every jaw hanging open, every eye focused on him as if mesmerized. Taking a breath, Buddy reached down to the ground dramatically and grasped the bottom edge of the dirty sheet. Behold, your new master! Buddy ripped the sheet away from the painting, revealing an all-too-realistic portrait of a clown. White face, blue curly hair, dead black eyes. <laughs> Andy Mullen shrieked and thundered out of the room, bumping the painting and causing it to pitch forward. The teenagers nearer to it scrambled away as it landed face down on the floor. Oh, come on, shouted Calvin. That's it? Nervous titters around the room were quickly replaced with a growing groan and a chorus of scattered boos until a thunderous bang from the adjoining room, followed by two more bangs in quick succession. The room fell silent as the adjoining door opened with an endless creak, revealing only darkness. An eerie silence seemed to grow until the clown from the painting jumped into the room, honking a ballpark and asking, are you ready to party? The clown ran around the room as screams filled the air, but he fell to his knees, doubled over in laughter. The clown ran from couple to couple. You, you, it asked, down into Earl's face as he cowered. The clown looked over to Christy Jeffers, who, overcharging on fear and operating on pure adrenaline, quickly fired off three rabbit punches in succession, producing a fountain of blood from the clown's nose. <laughs> oh, god damn it, Christy! How? How'd you know my name, you son of a bitch? Christy asked as she slowly rose from the ground. It's me, you bitch, mumbled the clown. Buddy, alarmed but still laughing, sprung to his feet shouting, Whoa, 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 just a joke, folks. Take a look, it's just Derwin. 
Buddy reached over and pulled off Derwin Hellman's wig, revealing a 17-year-old in smeared and bloody grease paint with a rapidly swelling nose and an epically pissed-off expression on his face. I told you this was a bad idea, said Derwin to Buddy through his swollen nose, as Earl chimed in with, It's not funny. Clowns? Clowns are scary. <laughs> Look like you're about to piss yourself, said Calvin. That's pretty funny. Well, I'll show you something funny, said Earl, rising towards Calvin as Buddy lunged in between them. Okay, okay, my fault, guys. Just a joke, he said. Let's remember, we're all friends. Yeah, whatever, came a voice from the far end of the room, followed by another. Let's get out of here. This is lame. Come on, it's a joke, pleaded Buddy. It's just an old painting in some weird book I found in my aunt's attic. You mean the Witchmaster General? asked Christy. That ain't funny, and it's disrespectful to the dead, said Buddy. She wasn't a witch. She just collected some weird things, and... Come on, it was a little funny, right? He asked Calvin. It was, he replied. A little. But that was then. Let's go, Christy. Calvin took Christy by the hand, pulled her to the, her feet, and the two of them walked right across the painting as they left the room, followed quickly by the rest of the crowd, leaving Buddy alone. He looked down at the painting lying face down on the floor. He tucked the book back into his waistband, picked up the painting, and gently rested it against the far wall. He stared at the painting. Even the clown didn't seem amused. <laughs> You're an idiot, said a musical voice from the doorway. But he looked up and saw Jane leaning against the doorframe with a wry grin on her face. Yep said Buddy. Luckily, you're a cute idiot, she said, and then laughed. If you're gonna fake a killer clown, why on earth would you use little Derwin Hellman? I bet he's a hundred pounds soaking wet. I knew we could keep a secret. Yeah, but when I saw he wasn't here, I knew something was up. You knew? Sure, she said, but it was kind of funny. Kind of? Buddy asked, taking a step towards her. A little. Okay, it was really funny, Jane admitted. <laughs> God help me, especially when little Derwin was terrorizing the whole room. Yeah, you know, I didn't mean for the other <laughs> stuff to. I do, she said. And I must admit, I'm flattered that you went to all this trouble just to impress little old me. Well, now, there's more to it than <laughs> Buddy stammered. Don't lie to me, buddy. You're in my good graces at present. Don't blow it. <laughs> yes, ma'am, he said as he took her in his arms and leaned in to kiss her. I knew you should have tried out for the school play. You're good and you're reading from that book, Jane said. I made it all up, said Buddy. The book's just a bunch of weird symbols. I wrote a bunch of stuff down, but I ended up just kind of winging it. I guess the sight of me in a motel room gave you some pretty good motivation. Hell yeah, said Buddy with a smile. Well, began Jane, what else are you motivated to do? Buddy reached for the switch and turned off the light. As the moonlight from the window danced across Jane's face, Buddy thought that she was easily the most beautiful girl he would ever see. He picked her up and flopped her down playfully on the bed, following close behind. 
Jane laughed as she grabbed him and pulled him toward her, fumbling with his clothes almost as much as he was fumbling with hers. Happily occupied with one another, neither Buddy nor Jane noticed the frame gently shaking as it rested against the wall on the side of the room. They also didn't see the gnarled, clawed hands of the clown thing as it reached out of the painting, gripped the shag carpeting, and pulled itself into the room. It paused only to smile, an impossibly wide smile, revealing at least three rows of shining, razor-sharp teeth before turning back to the painting where a bigger clown thing now waited behind it. The first clown thing nodded, and the second clawed its way in, followed by another, and another, and another. That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It. Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com. <laughs>